What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 307 Podcast. As you know, uh, we are are going to be out in the backcountry running an advanced mission and then going out to do a backcountry mule deer hunt for uh, a little while. So today's episode is special for you guys because it is actually a pre-recorded episode from a program that we do three Sundays a month for our Patreon members called Resurrected. Uh, this is a message that I brought the other night to the crew over at Resurrected, and it pertains to men of faith throughout history that have struggled with their ability, their confidence, uh, their faith, and just their path that God has chosen for them in life. And we look at multiple different examples. We go through it, and then we talk about how it pertains to our struggles in terms of confidence, ability, and faith. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a little different. This was not recorded on the the uh, podcast machine here, so the audio is going to be a little different than you're used to, um, but we will be back to regular scheduled, regularly scheduled programming after this. And if you guys enjoy the conversation and you want more of this type of content, join us over on Patreon. Again, Resurrected is three Sundays a month. We appreciate all of you guys that do support 3 of 7 Project over on Patreon. It means a tremendous amount to us and allows us to do what we do. We're always so honored and so humbled that you guys would support us the way that you do. We love you guys. Without further ado, here it is. All right, guys. We're going to kick this thing off. Now, tonight's message was actually inspired by my wife, Biscuit, Aunt Brooke. That's who inspired tonight's message. And um, she just talked to me about something very simple the other day. And I thought, man, there's something there. So everything that we're going to talk about tonight and the things that we're going to look at in Scripture tonight are going to revolve around self-doubt, um, feeling exhausted, just feeling exhausted with, with everything that's happening in the world and everything that's happening in your life or whatever challenges you might be facing, feeling exhausted and feeling maybe like, like you're alone, like there's no one there uh, to walk through this with you, which is one reason why it's very important for us to meet and uh, and have these conversations so that we don't feel alone. And then the other thing that we're going to talk about is times where we begin to doubt our faith, where we begin to have doubts about Christ and who he said he is and what scripture says. So can we all can we all relate to these things? Has anyone ever experienced self-doubt? I know I have. I know I have. I I remember when I first decided that I wanted to join the Navy to be a US Navy SEAL. I had so much self-doubt because there is there it's it's a miracle that I made it. 
It's a miracle that I stayed alive throughout my career. I had so much self-doubt, not only because I felt insufficient, but because everyone around me was basically laughing at me. <laughs> I know what self-doubt feels like. I have self-doubt on the regular in my day-to-day -day life. A lot of people nowadays will call it, uh, some people will call it imposter syndrome or, or whatever you want to call it. I have self-doubt all the time. We did a speaking engagement not long ago in Costa Rica, and, and, and it was it was unbelievable what this company paid me to come and speak. And I had so much doubt about my ability to go and to deliver something of value to this group of people, right? I experience self-doubt all the time, okay? So um, we're going to dig into it. Now, uh, I want to look at a grand example of self-doubt from somebody that God used in a mighty, mighty way. Can any, anybody guess who we're about to talk about here? Drop it in the comments if you can guess who we're about to talk about here. Self-doubt, a man that experienced self-doubt that God used in a mighty, mighty way. You know, I think that um, I think that a lot of Aaron Dana. <laughs> yep, that's it, man. We're gonna read about Moses here in just a second, and we're gonna articulate the self doubt that he experienced because a lot of times we don't go back into the Old Testament and read through these stories, uh, read through these accounts, um, because we we think we know them, so we don't really study them. But there's a lot in these accounts that uh, I think we haven't really considered. And I think a lot of the problems that we have, that I have personally, is uh, stems from not, not thinking, what, trying to put God in a box, essentially. I think a lot of problems come from that. You know, and I think it's, it's for many different reasons. I think it's one, because our human mind obviously will never ever grasp the magnitude of God the Father. And I think another thing is, you know, we have all these images of, of Christ and we have all these images that in, in church buildings and stuff on the stained glass windows of, of Christ and angels and all this stuff. And, and we, we want <clears throat> to, that's how we portray God in heaven and stuff through these images that we've been created by man that are supposed to be a representation of those things. I think we think about God way, way too small. And he shows up in a really strange way when we uh, read this account of uh, this crazy day that Moses had. And I think there's a lot there. So we're going to read this and we're going to talk about Moses' self-doubt real quick. All right, guys, this is a really awesome, awesome piece of scripture to read. In chapter 3 of Exodus, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Mount Horeb. This guy, Moses, was a, a farmer, a sheep herder, right? He was shepherding sheep around a desert. Well, I was I can relate to that. Uh, not the sheep herding part, but the the farming part, the working man part, because that's all that I ever knew as a young man. And um don't think that God can't and won't use you just because you're just a, a working man, right? Or woman, right? This guy was a sheep herder. And the angel of, a Lord, of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld, and the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I told you guys earlier, we think too small about God. And here we see God appearing as this form. It, it obviously wasn't fire as we know fire. Fire needs three things, right? Fuel, heat, and uh, oxygen. Well, here we have a picture of something that was like fire, but it wasn't fire because it wasn't using, it wasn't consuming fuel. And Moses saw this and he said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt? Could you only imagine seeing this? And when the Lord saw he had turned to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he, God said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And then God goes in and describes himself and tells Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Man, that is a wild way for God to show up. For God to represent himself to this man named Moses. Um, I think you should consider that. Try to put that in the box of your mind. And so basically God comes to Moses and he tells Moses beginning in verse seven that he's heard uh, the cries of his people and how they are being tormented in the land of Egypt, right? And then he says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring us forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So here we've got a sheep herder and God saying, Come on, buddy, I'm going to send you to the most powerful man on earth to deliver a message that he's not going to like. Hmm. Huh. And Moses, the sheep herder, had some big, big self-doubt. Moses actually said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh 
and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Man, how many times has God called you to do something? And the first thing you say back to him is, who am I to do this, God? Come on, hold up just a minute. Who am I? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. That happens to me on about a weekly basis. About a weekly basis, all right? What a blessing. What a blessing to be used in a way that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you doubt yourself. Man, what a blessing that is. And he, God said, certainly I will be with you. Stop trying to put God in a box. When he calls you to do something that makes you doubt yourself, you can be certain that he will be with you and that he will supply you with whatever it is you may need to accomplish whatever the mission is. And Moses said unto God in verse 13, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. They are going to say unto me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? So here now we see Moses saying, I'm not cut out for this. But now he's saying, I don't even know what to tell them. I'm talking to a burning bush here. I don't even know what to tell them, man. Man, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And God said to Moses, let me tell you how God answers Moses. And go ahead and wrap your head around this. God said to Moses, I am that I am. Holy smokes. Wrap your mind around that. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how God the Father had, tries to describe himself to you and me and Moses and every other human that's walked to the face of the earth and all that he can say is I am that I am. That's because he is the thing that knits everything together. Wrap your mind around that. He's not some image on a stained glass window. He's not some cross that hangs around a necklace. He is literally the force that wraps and knits every single thing that is. I am that I am. That is what that means. Next time somebody asks you about God, we need to start explaining God in the manner that he explained himself. In other words, there is nothing that is not God. There is nothing that God does not have his hand in. I am that I am. 
say unto the children of Israel, I am, have sent me unto you. Praise the Lord. I am so glad God answered Moses with a simple statement of I am that I am. I am so glad that God did not describe himself as something that we can put into the box of our finite human minds. This book would not be worth reading if God would have described himself as something or somebody that you could even begin to grasp. Do you believe that? Because I believe that. And that's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. God the Father describing himself to us in his word. In that manner. Huh. All of this. And Moses, he's still having some self-doubt. We look in chapter 4. Moses' next, Moses' next rebuttal to God. And Moses answered God and said, But behold, they won't believe me, nor will they listen to me. For they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto you. Well, again, like we talked about earlier. When God sends you, when God uses you, he's going to supply you with everything that you possibly need. And he equipped Moses with a whole manner of crazy things. When he said, Moses said, they were not going to believe me. He said, hey, man, throw your staff down onto the ground. And it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped back. He freaked out, man. God said, settle down, man. Grab that snake by the tail. He grabbed it by the tail, and it turned back into a rod. And then he said, hey, Moses, put your hand in your pocket. Moses put his hand in his pocket, and he pulled it back out, and his hand was covered in leprosy. And he said, oh, just put it back in your pocket. He put it back in his pocket. He pulled it out. It was clean. God equipped Moses with everything that he needed supernaturally. <laughs> well, oh Moses, I tell you what, this was a stubborn son of a gun. I tell you what, I think I'd have been ready to go after I threw my rod down and it turned into a snake. I just said, come on, boys, let's go see Pharaoh. But oh Moses, he was still doubting himself. And he said unto the Lord, my Lord God, I am not an eloquent, neither, I, or, oh my God, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So now Moses is saying, I'm just not a good speaker. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I ain't a good speaker either. And, 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 and somehow or another, somehow or another, I don't know how many millions of people who have heard the sound of my voice by the grace of God, because the, the fact that he's chosen to use me and put words in my mouth. I cannot tell you how the millions have heard the sound of my voice. I, I, I don't even like to talk. Ask this guy, man. 
when we get all when we're hanging out, I might say three words. I'm not a speaker. Have you been out in the basic course? You know me. <laughs> the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Praise God, I can relate to that, buddy. I can relate to that. That's Moses. And you guys all know what Moses went on to do. Uh, and if you don't, you should go and finish this account of how God used him in the book of Exodus. What I'm trying to tell you here is if you've got some self-doubt today about what God's called you to do, what God's laid on your heart, if you've got some self-doubt about who you are within the body of Christ, I want to go ahead and tell you that you're not alone, but the great I am, the one that knits the entire universe together is with you. So go, therefore. Let's move on to the next one. I want to see if y'all can guess this one. We're going to talk about if we finally overcome our, when we finally overcome our self-doubt and we're getting on down the road and it gets hard, man, and we have that moment where we feel like we're all alone and we're absolutely exhausted. Who y'all think we're going to talk about here? Who you think we're going to talk about, Blake? You got any Job. idea? No. No, it's not Job. Nope, not David. All right, guys. One of my favorite, one of my favorite men of God right here, Elijah. We're going to talk about Elijah. All right. What a life Elijah lived. We're going to look in the book, First Kings. And it really starts in chapter 19 where King Ahab tells Jezebel about all that Elijah had done and how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Elijah had just lured the, the prophets of uh, Baal, the god, the, the uh, satanic god that Jezebel worshipped. He had lured all these prophets uh, into an area, and he somehow figured out how to kill 850 of them in one evening. <laughs> he had killed 850 of these prophets in one evening. And let me tell you what, old Jezebel, old Jezebel, she was mad. She was real mad, and she sent a messenger to Elijah and said, so let the gods do unto me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them that you just slain by tomorrow about this time. So she said, Elijah, I'm coming for you, son. I'm coming for you. Um, and so verse three says, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He fled for his life. 
And he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, you want to talk about a man that is wore out. Elijah was not suffering um, from a lack of faith. Elijah was just wore out. He said, this is enough. I'm tired of it. And he actually prayed to God to take away his life. That's intense. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he got up and ate and drank, and he laid him down again. And he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Oh, come on, son. And he arose and he did eat and he did drink and he went on in the strength of that meat for 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. That's funny here because God in Elijah's day, when Elijah had that feeling that so many of you have probably had Were you ready to lay down and say, God, just take me out of this place because it's enough. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of losing loved ones. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of the bull crap that's happening. Back in Elijah's day, he actually sent an angel to supply Elijah with this miraculous food and water that got him up to where he could go for 40 days straight in order to accomplish his mission. Well, let me tell you what, guys. We don't live in Elijah's day. We live in a day where we have the bread of life. And we live in a day where we can drink from a fountain that if we drink from the fountain of Christ, we will never thirst again. See, this is just a representation of Christ. This miraculous bread and this water that Elijah took to give him the strength to accomplish his mission. But we have something even better. We have the bread of life right here. We have our daily bread that will sustain us no matter what, no matter how hard it gets. When we're ready to leave this world, we can eat from the bread of life that will sustain us, and we can drink from the Spirit of Christ that will never go dry, that will we will never thirst again. We have the same miraculous bread and water, but on a whole nother level. And Elijah came, in verse 9, to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What 
are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah done went 40 days, and now he's holed up in a cave. That's what Elijah said. He's still, he's feeling wore out again. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're not far off from a day on this earth when you're going to look around you and you're going to say the exact same thing that Elijah said right here. I, even I, am the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. If you haven't felt that yet, we're liable to all be in a place one day where we feel that. But let me tell you what, God shows up in another strange way here. He actually shows up in a, 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 a breath of wind. So he showed up to Moses in a, in a bush, a burning bush. And he shows up here in the wind. And he speaks very quietly to Elijah. And he says, this is just like God. When you start feeling like you're all alone, I want you to know something. God's got something in his plan that you don't know about. He's got something that you don't know about. And God says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. And God delivers this information to Elijah. And he says, look, man, I know you feel like you're the only one left and you've been very zealous. And you've served me well, but you need to quit feeling sorry for yourself because I got 7,000 that you don't know about that I have preserved. For myself. And boy, that made Elijah feel a lot better. When all of a sudden you feel like and you know, you come to the realization that you're not the only one left. That God's plan doesn't just revolve around you. That he's got something that you don't know about. And Elijah got off his butt and he left that cave. And he went on to do great things. So if you're ever feeling like you're the only one left, quit thinking so dang small about God. Last thing we're going to talk about here, guys, is when we get to those times when we start to doubt our faith. Who y'all think we're going to talk about here? We're going to talk about doubting our faith in Christ. See if any of y'all can guess this one. I'm waiting. Doubting our faith. There's many examples. Oh, first comment. We're going to talk about old Thomas right here. 
We're going to talk about old Thomas first. Who was that? Who, who commented that? Aaron Dana. Dang, Aaron Dana's on point tonight. I must have, yeah. He must have tapped into my notes on my iPhone somehow. Aaron's a pretty smart guy. We're going to look in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. All right, guys. Very interesting here. Christ had risen. Christ has appeared unto his disciples. Um, he had breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples said to him, We've seen the Lord. And he said unto them, Except I should see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'll tell you what, this is just something else to me. You know, you look at Thomas. And Thomas was there with Christ and the rest of the disciples for the whole ordeal. He walked with Christ. He knew Christ. He saw the miracles that he performed. He knew Christ. Saw him crucified. And here's Thomas. He's doubting his faith. He said, I just, I can't believe this. And he's even got his buddies that he loves, that he trusts, that he knows. He's got a, he's got 10 of them, 10 of them. So you know he was just here and he still don't believe. Now, you know what? You would think that Christ would be angry at Thomas. Would you not? Would, would you not think that? When Christ finally did meet Thomas, that he wouldn't say, Thomas, you idiot. You, are, you aren't worthy of me. Well, I mean, that's the way I would think he would respond. Like, Thomas, I've done, I've told you everything. I've showed, I've already showed you. But like, you're not worthy of me. Let's see what happens when Thomas meets Christ. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus to the doors, and the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be ye not faithless, but believing. You know, it's interesting here. Jesus full well knew about Thomas's lack of faith. Thomas didn't have to tell him about it. Jesus knew about it. But Jesus wasn't upset. He said, come on, Thomas. I'm going to help you believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. I want you guys to consider tonight how much grace had, how much grace Jesus Christ had for Thomas. Thomas being a man who didn't necessarily deserve the grace that Christ extended to him in that moment. I want you to consider how loving and how graceful Jesus was with Thomas. And I want you to consider that last verse that we read that Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. That's you and me. And if Christ had that much grace with Thomas, how much more so does Christ have grace with you and I who have not seen when we struggle in our faith, we who have not seen, when we struggle in our faith, when we have those days where it's just hard to believe, and y'all have those days? Ha, I have those days where it's just hard to believe. And my gosh, it's so I am so thankful that I know that Christ knows about my unbelief. But I believe he will extend his grace unto me tenfold, a hundredfold, the grace that he extended to Thomas. You never beat yourself up when you have a day and it's hard to believe. You never beat yourself up about that because Christ has grace that is sufficient for your unbelief. And he will build you back up to where you need to be because he knows every thought that goes through your mind. He knows every struggle that you face he knows every enemy that's coming against you. He knows everything that's trying to stop you. But he has grace that is sufficient for my unbelief, for your unbelief, and he will provide what you need to know him for who he is. Praise Jesus, man. If you ever have self-doubt, don't beat yourself up, guys. If you ever feel exhausted, remember you're not alone. And if you ever doubt your faith, you remember that Christ's grace is sufficient for you in every aspect of your life. Tonight is a message of encouragement. Tonight is a message to remind us that we are all human.
Tonight is a message to remind us that we cannot fit the magnitude of God the Father, the great I am, into the confines of our finite mind. So stop trying. That's what tonight's all about. I love you guys so much. And I thank you guys so much for allowing me to share that message that the Holy Spirit put on my heart through my wife who struggles with unbelief more so than anyone else that I know in the body of Christ. And Christ's grace is sufficient for her every single day amidst anything. She's inspiring a message that Christ wants to give to you in the midst of her unbelief. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? What you got, Blake? Really, man, you're going to turn it over after a darn... After a turn message like that, Praise I mean, Lord, son. there ain't much I can add. Um, that's that's something we all need to hear. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as he was talking through some of that stuff that I know me before in the past, maybe if I feel like something I should be doing, but I know it's really out of my capabilities, then I'll start to think, well, was that really even God that, that was kind of inspiring that in me, or is that just something I want to do? Trying to, trying to get a, you know, almost find a cop out of, of having to do it right. Or getting to do it is, is the way I should think about it. And so I would just challenge you to lean into that and, and actually seek the truth out in that. And because if you know that it is God inspiring it in you, then what Chad just told you, you should be fired up to go do it. You should be fired up to go do something that, you know, you and yourself can't do so that was that was just one thing that kept sticking out to me as he was talking through that and uh another verse that popped into my mind was the uh somewhere in first corinthians but it says the foolishness of god is is basically it's saying the foolishness of god is far beyond the wisest wisdom of man and so that just hits on what he was just telling you guys that in our little bitty minds we think we can comprehend this even as much as you might think that you have a, a better grasp on who God is now. You still don't. You still don't, and you'll never get it. But if you can accept that and look at that, look at God with an open mind and read his word with an open mind, then I think you'll get a lot further than uh, than putting him into a box like Chad talked about in the beginning. So that's what I would add. Thank you, Blake. Yes, you're right. The 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 whole word of god consistently points to our insufficiency um and yes the fact that we cannot grasp the vastness of god the father does not mean that you should stop seeking to know him better and better and better guys i want to open it up for anything that you guys would like to add to this conversation, any questions, comments, concerns, um, anything at all. Uh, it's your show. <laughs>